Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Romans 7 verse 15 says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, what I want but I do the very thing that I hate. We're going to skip down to verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of, of, of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself may serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. This is such an interesting passage in the Bible. Um, The title of my talk today is help. I'm stuck. Help. I'm stuck. Can you turn to your neighbor and just say, help. I'm stuck. Turn to your other neighbor and say, help. Put some emphasis on it. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. One of my favorite things to observe is, is a family on vacation. And, and more specifically, I love to observe a dad with his family on vacation. Have you ever noticed the dads are never having fun? Like all they're thinking about is how much this costs them, right? They're at like Disneyland. Their kids are like, Aah! The dad's like, it's hot. I'm waiting in line. These kids don't appreciate it. They're all arguing. I spent, you know, their whole college fund. They don't realize they're not going to school now, you know, because we went to Disneyland. Like they're sitting there. It's like, this isn't fun. You know, my dad is, is amazing. Most intense human being I've ever met. And, and my favorite, you know, I, I think back on my dad now and I'm so empathetic for him. I am, I am a, a dad now. I have a one-year-old. So, um, that means I haven't gone through it yet, but he's amazing. Even at Knott's Berry Farm yesterday, we're like, come on, Rio, are you excited? And he's like, I'm like, why are you here? Like, I don't get a ride rise because of you. Like, I'm getting mad at him. Like, he, what is wrong with me? All right, Father's Day's next week. But I have empathy for my dad, right? We had three boys. I'm the youngest of three boys. Um, we all were wrestlers. We could destroy a room in 30 seconds. Uh, we were just wild. So when we would go on vacation, you know, I would sit in the middle. My older brothers would sit on the side and they would like elbow me the whole time. And I would freak out. And my dad's just sitting in the front seat, just clinching the steering wheel. Like, God, help me. God, help me. Now, now I realize that he had very limited vacation time. You know, he had to spend money on it. And, and he didn't get to relax. We did, we got what we wanted, but he didn't get to relax. And there's this one particular time, I remember we were in New York and he took us, the whole family, he was speaking in upstate New York and graciously he took the whole family with us, right? And uh, so we all go and he preaches, you know, nine times in like five days. He's obviously tired and says, we're gonna go down to New York City. I wanna show you guys the city. It's a four hour drive. You know, that's a good idea with three little boys. You know, really good idea, we're rambunctious. And so we begin this drive and we stop at a rest stop. And remember my older brother was very determined. So he went and he had to get what he wanted to get at the rest stop. My brother John was the, the misunderstood one, the middle child, you know, always in his own world. Just like, so my parents were always hyper aware of John because he would be that kid who's just like walking and then like walks out the door and gets lost. And you're like, what, where's John? You know, that was always the question my parents were asking. But for me, I had my eyes set on something. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's probably the greatest ripoff in humanity, um, but it's those novelty penny machines that you have to put like a dollar in to get like a penny that has no longer use, like, but it like imprints like something on it. You know what I'm talking about? And it like elongates it. It's like, 
it's like such a waste of money. But for me, I'm like, that is so cool. Why? It's because I'm a young boy and they had this steering wheel on it that you could just spin as fast as you possibly could. So my parents are chasing my brothers around and I go to this novelty penny machine and I'm like, that looks fun. So I'm sitting there spinning it just as hard as I can. But then accidentally, I, I, I tried to stop it and my arm gets jammed up in it. So my parents who are running around and I'm sitting there with my arms stuck in upstate New York screaming, help, for 30 minutes. I'm not exaggerating. For 30 minutes, my arm was stuck in it. They had to like get all these people to help me out. And my dad is running around panicking, worrying, saying, how do I, how do, I do this? How do I make this work? I have one child who just wants to do his own thing, one child who's lost in the universe and has no idea where he's at, and one child whose arm is stuck in a novelty penny machine. This is not a vacation, right? What's funny is actually sometimes that picture right there is the picture of our walk and our journey with God. It's chaotic. It's crazy. It's, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to hold everything together. We're like, you know, I gotta, I gotta be good for my family. I gotta, I, I gotta be good for the business. I gotta, I gotta make sure that I'm, I'm being, you know, righteous and holy and living the right way and doing the right thing. And we're like, we, we, have, no, we have no idea where to go. One, we, we try to put out the fire with the family and then we have over here, the business is suffering. And, and then we try to, you know, get things right with our character. We're trying to, God, I gotta be better. I can't just cuss people out on the 405. Help me, God, help me. And everywhere we turn, one thing seems to be suffering. And we're, we're sitting here on the inside saying, I go to church every week. I read my Bible. I do my devotions. Yet, God, I am stuck. Help me. I'm stuck. So it's like me as a seven-year-old sitting there in a novelty penny machine. We are just sitting there saying, I'm stuck. How do I do this? How can I figure this out? I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to do what you asked me to do. I'm trying to be good for my family. I'm trying to wake up and pray. I'm trying to do all this, but God, I'm, I'm stuck. Paul, and the writer of, of Romans 7, is really giving us this very picture. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, the things I hate, I end up doing. Isn't that like sometimes a picture of our walk with God? Oh, man, I'm going to fast Every, all day, 21 days, I'm going to do it. Day three, oh man. God forgives, right? In and out, in Jesus' name. It's like, oh, grace covers, you know? It's funny because this is what he's saying. The whole chapter is this very concept of a person who's already saved. He's not speaking to an unbeliever. He's not speaking to someone who hasn't walked with God. He's speaking to someone who is a believer in Christ, yet they're stuck. This is the whole concept of Romans 7, is saying, how can you be a believer and still be stuck? So, I want you to be, to be encouraged today that it's okay that you're stuck. Now, by the end of the service, I pray that we don't stay stuck, but Paul is writing in Romans 7 to let you know you're not the only one who feels stuck as a believer, because oftentimes we play the comparison game and say, man, they're doing really good, but why am I stuck? Man, that person, they got it all together. They really figured it out. I, I, I can't figure it out. This is what it's all about. It's, it's this person who's already put their trust in Jesus. See, oftentimes we, we hear about freedom, yet, yet we walk in bondage. We worship about peace, but we continually live in anxiety. We... We preach restoration, but so many, 
so many of us just possess so much pain and hurt and brokenness. And we feel like we're stuck. Now, there's really just two responses to these verses, and it's very interesting. The first response is, oh, wretched man that I am. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I hate, I end up doing. Well, might as well keep on doing them. Grace covers, right? The first response is we try to now justify being stuck. Saying, you know what? It's just kind of, just this is who I am. Good thing for God's grace, right? It covers it. You know, we can do what we want to do. So we justify living in a bondage, justify living in anxiety, justify living in brokenness, justify living this life that God never intended us to live. And we're saying, yeah, well, you know, I guess it's just who I am. Grace covers it, right? The other response is this. Oh, you know, I, I've got to put my head down and I, gotta, I, I, I can work through this. I can figure this out. If I just get more self-discipline and more self-help and, and do all these things, I can work through this. I can put my head down and I can grind and, and I can figure out the equation to get unstuck. So on one side, we're justifying living stuck. On the other side, we're trying to work our way out of it. I can work my way out. I can figure this out. Yet both have the same result. They both stay stuck. Because the problem is this, there's a fundamental flaw on both of these responses. The focus is still on us. The focus is still on us. Even when we say, oh, grace covers it, right? No, guess what we're still focusing on? The fact that we want to live where it's comfortable. Because sometimes being stuck is more comfortable than trying to get the spirit to get us unstuck. Because it takes faith, it takes us activating something. We're saying, oh, you know what? And on the other side, it makes more sense to work your way out of it. So some of us, we think that it's our, you know, our works that complete our faith. We think that it, if I can work this way out, that's what completes my faith in God. It's yes, the faith and salvation, but then I have to do the works. The works don't complete your faith. Because if they could complete your faith, guess what you could do? You could give yourself partial credit for your salvation. It's, it's the very faith in Jesus Christ that he gave you that gives you faith. So does it, you know, this whole chapter is about the law, right? He's given us a picture of the law, the rules, the regulations, the two responses of how to be stuck. And he's saying the law is what's making you feel stuck. Why? Does it, does it mean that we, we, we don't have to live by the law anymore then, right? You hear that? Hey, the law's going away. We don't have to live by it. Let's go. Party, Saturday night, Sunday we in church because God's good. The law's away. No, 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 no. That's not what he's saying. No, God still desires you to live like him and look like him. It is a combination of faith and us keeping the law as our own ability, which bring in salvation. So that's, these are the two opposing views in, in Romans 7, that it's, you know, the law just disappears, which it doesn't. No, God still desires you to live right, look, look like him, act like him. But on the other side, it's, yeah I, yeah, I get that, but it's my works that make me look like him. If I can try, I can be determined, I can be self-disciplined, I can have everything together, and we, that's what completes my salvation. And God's saying, no, you're giving yourself too much 
credit. The law was not put in place for you to try to work to attain it. And the law was not put in place for it to just disappear. The law was put in place as a measuring stick to show us what you really need, which is Jesus. The law was put in place that you could never attain it. There's nothing that you could ever do to fulfill the law on your own. There's nothing that we could work harder to be better, to go how many times we go to church on Sunday and how many times we read our Bible. That is not what fulfills the law. The law cannot be fulfilled by human action or interaction with ourself and our own effort. God is saying, I put that there to show you what you actually need. So when you feel stuck, what you need to do is not look to how to work your way out of it or how to justify to stay in it. You need to look to the person who actually fulfills it. See, Paul was addressing this very same thing in the church in Galatia. We see that in Galatians 3, verse 3 says, are you foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Are you now being perfected by your effort? Are you now being perfected by your religion? Are you now being perfected by your self-discipline or your self-help? Are we now being perfected by us? So God began something, but now it's in our hands to, to complete it? No, because it says God is the author and the finisher of our faith. So if he's the author and he's the finisher, that means everything in between is up to him as well. So, so is it about us? Now completing this. Is it about us now fulfilling? I gotta do this. I, you know, Pastor Jake, I've just been working really hard. That's the problem. What is Paul saying here? Do we think we can complete the work that God began in the spirit? Why do we think we can put ourselves on that level? Only God began this work. Why do we think somehow, some way, I can complete it? I can do this. I can fulfill it. I can make this work. So what did God begin in the spirit? Jesus gave us a new nature in our spirit. It says we become new creations in Christ, right? What does that mean? That means when we put our faith in God, we put our trust in God, we are persuaded that Jesus is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do. Within our spirit realm, God gives us a new nature. Where, it, where, where there was no longer, there was, before this, there was no ability to connect with God. There's no ability to relate with God because we had a sin nature. We don't, we aren't sinners because we sinned. We sinned because we were born into as sinners, we were born as sinners. We inherit a sin nature within our birth. So on the inside of us, there's a broken, fallen, flawed condition in nature called sin. And when we put our faith in God, what he does is this, he transforms us and gives us a new spirit nature. So that's what God began in the spirit. He began by giving you his nature that you could not conjure up. You could not, you could not attain it. Only God, through, by faith in Jesus Christ, could give you this new spirit nature. And when we put our faith in him, we are justified. And so the thing that still exists, so no longer in your spirit does your sin nature exist, but where it does exist is in your thinking, your emotions, your personality, your desires, your impulses, all of these things. There's still something called sin nature lingering in your soul and in your body, trying to pull you back to your old operating system. But when God gave you a new nature, he gave you the ability to have the fighter's edge over the sin nature in your thinking and in your body. So no longer do you have to be subject to those impulses, those desires, those thinkings, those emotions, that personality, but you can rule and reign over it. You can have victory over it because of what he did in your spirit. And God is saying, let me bring out what I've done in your spirit into your soul and into your body. Our salvation is because Jesus died for us. The ability to have faith is because God gave us a measure of it. 
So Paul is simply, simply saying this in Romans 7, you are giving yourself too much credit. If you're feeling stuck, the problem is this, you're giving yourself too much credit. 21 times in Romans chapter seven, does it say the word I or me? Does it say I or me? What does that show us? The focus is on I or me. I, I, oh, wretched man that I am. The things I wanna do, I don't do. The things I don't wanna do, I end up doing. I, me, I, me, I, me. And Paul is saying, you're giving yourself a little too much credit here. So how do we get unstuck? Romans 8, verses one through two says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of spirit and life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In Romans chapter seven, the key is I or me, right? The focus is I or me. 21 times in, the, in Romans chapter eight, there's a word that's used and it's called spirit. Look at the contrasting styles. On Romans seven, it's I or me. On Romans eight, it's spirit, spirit. Spirit. So he gives us two contrasting ways of living, right? One is self-controlled and self-led, and the other is spirit-controlled and spirit-led. One leads to being stuck, and one leads to, to activating what God has done in your spirit. Self-controlled or self-led, or spirit-controlled and spirit-led. So how, how do we live a spirit-led life? Because I grew up in a very, very charismatic church, and they would always say, be spirit-led. And I would go to school and be like, I'm trying, <laughs> help me. I'm like a 14 year old kid struggling with hormones, feeling like I'm not spirit led, God. I'm sorry. What does it mean to be spirit led? Number one, we need to stand in the spirit. Learn to stand in the spirit. Now let me put it this way. Know where you stand in the spirit. The word condemnation is the same word as condemned. Condemned, right? Condemned is, is defined for unfit for use or uninhabitable. Unfit for use or uninhabitable. The law of sin and death created separation between us and God. Before we gave our heart to him, there is a resistance and distance. But when we put our faith in Jesus, there's something that the spirit now closes that gap. There's no longer resistance or distance or separation. We now can be connected to God. And the very place that God had resistance and distance to becomes his home, which is your which is your spirit. When Jesus said there is no such, there, there, when Jesus says there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ, what he's saying is this, there's no such thing as being unfit for use when you give me your heart. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as being disqualified because you cannot disqualify what God has qualified. You, you, you can't be unfit for what God has created fit. Why? Because it's not about you. It's what he has created in your spirit. There's no such thing as being unfit for God's purpose in your life. Romans chapter seven is the enemy trying to get you to feel like I am not good enough for what God has called me to do and what God has called me to, 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 to be. I cannot do this. I can't be the dad I need to be. I can't be the father I need to be. I can't be the wife. I can't be, I can't be all these things and I'm unfit for what God has for me. I'm unfit. And what Jesus is saying through Paul is saying, there's no such thing when you are in me. There's no such thing as being disqualified or unfit or not good enough. There's no such thing as being someone who sinned too much and fell too hard. There's no such thing as someone who comes from that broken family and that broken family. I can use anyone. You are fit for use. I am ready. 
What used to be uninhabitable because of your sin now is, in, is inhabited by the very Spirit of God. So if the very Spirit of God inhabits you, how much more can He activate you and call you and, and give you the power and the ability to be fit for His call? We have to know where we stand. We have to know that He... That, that, we, that where he stands is he loves us, he has called us. And we see that in Romans 8, 3. For God has done what the law weakened by flesh could not do. By sending his own son in his likeness, a sinful flesh and for, uh, for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. What does that mean? He's saying this to our old nature. He's saying, no, 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 it's not my child who's unfit for use, they're fit. He's telling us what's unfit for use is operating on your old nature. That can't work. That doesn't work. So as long as you try to, to try to rely on your old nature, guess what? That nature is unfit for use, not you. That way of thinking, that way of believing, that way of living, that's, that, that doesn't fly. Because I've given you something new. I've given you something fresh and they can't coexist together. So what I need you to do is tap into the new operating system. Some of us are trying to operate on Windows 98 when God has given us a MacBook Pro and saying, get on the MacBook Pro, all right? Windows 98 is great, but it is slow, y'all. So some of us, ah, I got a MacBook Pro in my office, but you already know I just like to use the Windows 98. That's some of us how we are with God. God's given me a new nature, but it's more... I really understand this more. I use it though, it's not, it's, not, it's not actually applicable, but I use it because I understand it. I can comprehend it, I can attain it, I can quantify it. So we then are operating in a, in a nature that God's saying, that's actually not fit for where I'm taking you. Operate in what's fit for use, which is the spirit of God. Number two, we gotta hurry. Come on guys, pray, Jesus, thank you. All right, number two. First, we have to know where we stand in the spirit, which is we're fit for use. We're fit for his call. And it's not by our actions or our, our religion, but it's by his spirit that now he has given us a new nature. We are fit. Number two, we have to set on the spirit. Set on the spirit. Romans 8, 5 through 6 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on flesh is death, but get this, but to set the mind on spirit is life, and peace is life and peace. So where we lack life and where we lack peace is where we lack setting our minds on the spirit. It's a great, great measuring, the great prescription, right? He gives us, or he gives us a diagnosis. He said, if you are experiencing death and you're feeling stuck and if you're feeling like, like you have no peace, guess what? That's a pretty good indicator of that's where we are giving our mind to the things of our old nature and saying, I'm trusting more in this than I am in God. This is his indicator. But what does it mean to set? What are we giving our minds to? What are we, it's not just about thinking. Sometimes we say, oh, I just gotta think about God. So we're like, I'm trying, I'm so trying. It's, not, it's about a heart position, right? To set is, is to meditate. I will meditate on your words day and night. This very word, that, that word meditate is, is, is really a reflection of a cow and how they, they chew the cud. Right? If you don't know anything about how a cow is, they have seven stomachs. What they do is they'll chew on it, they'll swallow it, and they'll spit it back up and then chew it again. And they'll do that seven times over. Why? Because what it does is it extracts all of the nutrients. It's making sure it extracts all of the nutrients. So when it says meditate on it day and night, it says chew on it. 
extract everything that I have for you. Just keep, keep giving yourself to it. Keep giving yourself to the word. Keep giving yourself to prayer. Keep giving yourself to me and say, hey, God, I wanna learn more about you. I wanna know more about you. Because get, get this, as a cow has a limit to how much it can extract, there is no limit to how much we can extract from God because we will never get to the end of God. We can never get to a point where we say, well, I've got everything I got out of God. No, he's saying, no, keep going, keep going. That's what it means to meditate on the word day and night. Meditate on Jesus day and night. Position yourself where you're like, God, I need to know more about you. God, I need to know more of your character, more of your nature. God, I need, God, give me more, give me more, give me, it's a hunger, it's a thirst for more to extract the fullness of what God has for you. And guess what? You'll never get to the end of it. So you never, you'll never stop meditating on God's word. You'll never stop meditating on God's nature. That's a beautiful thing, and that's a place to, to keep us hungry, but it also means to fix your attention on. We see fix your eyes on the author and the finisher of our faith. Faith, it, the word pistis, is actually defined by a divine persuasion. A divine persuasion. That's what faith is defined by. So what is faith? It says, it's fixing your eyes on the author and the finisher of our faith. It's saying, I am fixing my eyes on Jesus. And I'm convinced that he is who he says he is. And he's gonna do what he says he's gonna do. So let, let's be those who ponder on the things of God and not on the things of selves. Let's be those who obey the voice of God and not obey our passions and our desires. Let's believe, let's believe in the place of the divine persuader. That when we put our focus on God, guess what's happening? The divine persuader is on your spirit persuading you again. So when you're not convinced of who Jesus is, when you begin to look to him, guess what the spirit does? He begins to convince you he is who he says he is. He's gonna do what he says he's gonna do. So when life hits you hard and that diagnosis comes in, you're saying, God, I don't know if I'm persuaded. I don't know if I can do this. The Holy Spirit says, let me take care of that. Put your attention on God. Let me persuade you again. And saying, God, I'm persuaded. Persuade me. I need you. I need you. How do we get stuck? We take our attention off God. We stop obeying his voice. We stop looking for him. We start trying to make it work on our own. So life hits us hard. It's, it's possible to continue in the flesh. What God has begun in the spirit when life is easy. It's possible to do good things and be a good person. It's possible to go and give and be generous. It's possible. But that's not the mark of what God has set. Because it, it, it becomes very challenging when, when life hits us. And pain comes and hurt comes. So sometimes maybe your natural inclination isn't religion. And it's not by, by, by just justifying it. Maybe our problem is this, is that we're holding on to pain and grief and not letting it go. Saying, God, why'd you take that person? God, why did you do that? Why didn't you heal them? See, we're not as persuaded sometimes when we feel like we prayed for a miracle and we didn't get it. And that's where the divine persuader comes in. The spirit of God says, hey, come here. I know it doesn't make sense. I know you're going through it. But can I persuade you again? Can I speak to you again? Can you just meditate on me a little bit? Think about my goodness. Think about my faithfulness. Think about all the times I've been there. Think about what I've set you free from and where I've taken you from. Come on. Let me persuade you again. Let me persuade you again. I've got to hurry. This is number three. We're never separated from the Spirit. Number one, kind of know where you stand. You're fit for use. God has already given you the nature that you need to be successful in this life. 
He's already given you the tools, what you need. It's our job to allow the Holy Spirit to activate them. He's already given you the character and the person, the things that God is trying to, the new operating system. He says, rely on that. He also, he, he created this place where we, we, we can set our minds on the Spirit. It's no longer be setting our minds on self and what we can do. And it's setting our minds on the Spirit. And number three is we, we are never separated from the Spirit. Romans 8, 37 through 39. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Come on, can we give it up? Get this, the separation between us and God that Jesus dealt with on the cross, guess what he was not dealing with? Your actions of sin. Now, track with me. We always think, oh man, God's just, I cussed on the 405, he's so mad at me right now. Man, I yelled at my wife and I know that wasn't right. He's mad at me right now. I, I, I got angry with my kids. Hey, I, we live in this constant state of being so insecure with how God feels about us. But if we look in Romans, we see this, that only one time out of the 49 times in the book of Romans when it mentions the word sin, did it deal with the actions of sin, the verb. Only one time. All other 48 times, you know what it's dealing with? The noun of sin, which is a person, place, or thing. Dealing with the nature. God is not just sitting here nitpicking your actions and saying, oh, that disqualified you, and that disqualified you, and that separates you, and that separates you. He's saying this. The only thing that separated you was your sin nature, and I dealt with that on the cross. So now what I need you to do is accept it. Now, you can reject it. You can reject this salvation. You can reject what God has done on the cross. But when you accept it, what you also can do is activate it. So you don't like those characteristics you have. You don't like when you get angry. You don't like when you get mad. You don't like when you, when, when, when you slip up or you go back to that addiction. You go back to that bond. You don't like when you're living in an unholy lifestyle and you're trying your best. You're trying your best and you don't like it. That's a good sign if you don't like it that it's like, you know what? I've got something on the inside of me that's telling me this isn't normal. This isn't right. But instead of saying, okay, now I got to work myself out of it, what we say is this, okay, God, if you began this, woo, and you don't want me to do it anymore, it's time for your spirit to consume me. It's time for your spirit to change me. God, the fruits of the spirit are not just dealing with the actions. It's a, pro, it's a production of what's happened on the inside of you. So if you need some more love, say, Holy Spirit, produce that fruit of love. If you need some more joy, produce that fruit of joy. If you need some more peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and long suffering, saying, God, I need your spirit to produce these things that I cannot do on my own. God, I need you. And when you understand this, you can understand that God is not sitting up there disqualifying you every time you make a mistake. Did, did God really send his son to die so we can live in this constant rat race of trying to earn his love? That's not good. That's not a good God. 
A good God sent his son to give us victory and saying, come on, you fell, get back up, keep on going, let's go. There's a new nature in you. There's new character in you. There's new dreams in you. There's new visions in you. Don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. Come on, get back up, let's go, let's go, let's go. Spirit of God, come on, persuade him again, persuade him again. Our God is not looking for you to build up relationship equity. You already got it. He's not looking for you to earn his love. You already got it. What is looking for you to do is say, God, I need you. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed. 